Welcome to Joker Men Podcast uh, in in the new America. <laughs> uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome to a new era of Joker Men Podcast. Uh, this is still season two, the arbitrarily deemed season two. Um, today we we have a special guest, and and that's Betsy Wright of acclaimed group X Hex. And we're going to discuss a couple things. Um, we're going to discuss a record that is nobody's favorite, and that's called Down in the Groove. And we're going to discuss a film, Jokerman at the Movies. Uh, and that movie is called Hearts of Fire. Um, I'm Evan, and as always, uh, I'm joined by Ian. Yep. And uh, as, as I just said today, welcome, Betsy Wright. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us, Betsy. How did, uh, before we dive too far in, I always like to hear from our guests, how did you, like, what, what's your Bob origin story? Um, well, pretty much, I, I guess, like, the, we growing up, my dad, the only thing we basically listened to was Bob Dylan and the Beatles on the Hell record yeah. record player. So he had all the vinyl, and, yeah, I just, it never, and then I ended up liking you know, I loved all, all the span of his career, and my dad was kind of like had stopped at <laughs> desire, pretty much. Like wow. that was yeah, it for him. So that's 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 usually <clears throat> the place that most folks seem to stop at. But yeah. the real heads keep going. You were young and still were like, oh no, but surely there's more than this, and you kept. I going. was well. I got the first bootleg series one through three came out when I was in high school. And yeah, and so I got really, really into to all the super early stuff. And then, you know, from that, from the volume one, but on unlike volume three, there was like a couple of songs like Blind Willie McTell was on there, which mm-hmm. which I think is maybe in the same time period, the recording sessions of, of Down in the Groove. Well, um, down, down in the Groove is like a peculiar mix of a lot of, it's not from like one yeah, year. They so, like yeah. recorded it in a million different studios, at sessions and stuff. So, and God, there's so many people on the record. Yeah, the credits it's are insane. Is Kip Winger, Robert Hunter, Kip on Winger. This? Yeah, they they collaborated on Silvio and Ugliest Girl in the World and Ugliest Girl in the World, which are both which are the worst songs yes. on there. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't even realize the the dead is actually credited as vocals on Silvio for Silvio. Well, I thought it was I was like a deadhead also in high school, and I I thought Silvio was a Grateful Dead song. I mean, it could be like it, it does sound they, well, like they used to his play attempt it. at it. They played. I think Jerry Garcia band used to play it, and oh. so that's how I knew it. And then I say I was surprised about that it was a collab between Robert Hunter and Bob Dylan. I was like, that's pretty cool. What they came up with is not it's like too bad. It's, yeah. it's really not the best of either of their work. It's like so funny that like when they got together, they didn't make some like epic psychedelic cowboy ballad. It's just like. A song about a girl who's really ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's it's really shockingly. It's really sad because it's like Bob did not collaborate with that many people. No. Uh, I think before we get really deep into the into the groove, uh, okay, I should say okay. um, the <laughs> we should just acknowledge to the to the listener that I think. Ian and I, we were talking about this, that like we really felt watching Hearts of Fire, which we'll discuss later, and listening to this record, that we've like hit the absolute bottom at this point. The bottom. Like, okay. We are actually, like, this episode, <laughs> yep. like we're so happy to have you. But, yeah. uh, we are <laughs> Thank you for joining us for the absolute worst moment yeah. in your entire life. We can only go up, but he can only go up from this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. That's the, the positive way to view it. And I feel like there's some synergy with just the state of our nation and the world um, and the state of Jokerman podcast. Uh, we're, we're about to like, we've finally just like literally hit the bottom of the Mariana Trench and now can only go slightly, slightly upward. Slightly upward. Yeah. Um, well. But uh, yeah, this, this record is... Um, the the sort of third of like what you could think of as the like bad 
the Dark Years trilogy, uh, sort of. Um, arguably, with uh, Empire Burlesque, then uh, Knocked Out Loaded, and then here we right. are at, at Down in the at Groove. The, at the bottom, yeah. <laughs> we are deep down, down in the groove. Down, yes. yeah. Emphasis I on actually down. think... I think Empire Burlesque sort of, I, we don't need to get too far into this because uh, obviously we just did we several did hours on Empire it, yeah. Burlesque, but I think Empire Burlesque is a little different than where we're getting to with Knocked Out Loaded and Down in the Groove. I, these, I agree. These records are are much more just sort of like mishmash uh, collections of odds and ends yeah. versus Empire Burlesque is sort of like that in terms of like the songs that were written for it kind of came from several years, but it does have a semi-cohesive vision. And when we get to down in the groove, it's just like completely schizophrenic and there's no sort of guiding principle whatsoever. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if, I mean, if you guys want to, I mean, I do have a few good things to say about it. Definitely. Absolutely. We've always got good things to say about these records. Yeah. Um, yeah, we usually just sort of, uh, you know, dip in and 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 hit it song by song. Uh, okay. But before we do, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we we have some just sort of overall guiding principles or or notes uh, to to mention as well. Do you have any anything to mention just right off the bat? I mean, I think it kind of like it has some really, I think it has some really bad songs on it. But the covers, I actually, I actually think his vocal performance overall is not bad. I mean, I think mm-hmm. he actually sings his ass off on a few of the tracks. So I, I think so I think the songwriting is is mostly bad, but but the covers actually are to me, I, I actually like them. So I, I like some of them yeah. too, without uh giving mm-hmm. away my like full opinion of, of the record. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I, I I suppose without further ado we should just uh get Descend. Let's repel. Go. Re- repel down the end. ropes into the groove. Down in the groove we go. Uh, side one, track one, Let's Stick Together. Cover of the great uh, Al Green song. Um, great, yes. Uh, this song, like, it, it really does have this sort of... I, I think I've said this before. I forget about which song, but... Sort of like the vibe of like um, John Stamos's character in Full House, like uh, playing like with his band, just sort of yep. like oh, this God. like yeah. rocking eighties like middle middle of the middle of the road type of the uh, blues, the, yeah, the blues. You hear the that face? Those, those famous yeah people in the eighties just like really loved to like just play the blues poorly i think um this uh this is not my favorite cover on this one just maybe because it's the first song on the record like the first song on the record needs to be first song on the record needs to be like a real a real you know humdinger a real ear catching sort of track and this just doesn't doesn't do it for me yeah this this feels like the beginning maybe of like like some of his of his like delving into that bar room blues stuff mm-hmm. that I, that was, is like, even now when he gets into that, I'm kind of, it's, I get a little bored. Not a strong start. Not a strong start. No, definitely not the, the, the greatest cover. Are you a big fan of the, uh, like the, the, when he gets into the cover mode, Betsy, like the self-portrait kind of stuff? Um, I actually really like self-portrait and I love, um, like, like world gone wrong and um good as i've been to you mm-hmm. and uh i love like i love those and i and i do i mean the early stuff is all covers too so of course like you know you think he wrote them a lot of them i like i love self-portrait and and i love the box set the you know the new morning self-portrait outtake box set that came out a few years ago. Another self-portrait. That's like one of my favorite, my favorite bootleg. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones. The self-portrait on that one does not look like him at all. The like the one on another no, self-portrait. The painting? The, yeah, that one specifically. <laughs> like the original painting, I think, does actually look like Bob at that time. Like if you see pictures of him when he was like living in Woodstock in like the late 60s. It actually does. Yeah, the color scheme. There's a resemblance. Yeah, yeah. 
but the one on another self-portrait, the the bootleg series very, release. It, he's very red, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can't actually remember. <laughs> he also what it looks just looks like, like, right like nothing like Bob Dylan. That, that <laughs> it's like more like what he imagines Bob Dylan to look like. Bob's own yeah. idea. <laughs> I, uh, I gotta take a look at that. He contains multitudes, uh, uh, of course. <laughs> ha, 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 as ha, he ha. as he says himself. Uh, yeah, down in the groove, uh, beginning with Let's Stick Together, and an inauspicious beginning, I would say. A searing indictment of divorce. Yeah, <laughs> he's really coming out strong um, in favor of uh, the institution of marriage. Or is there, there's a lyric like, the marriage vow is very sacred, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another line about, like, you got to stay together for the children, like, you, they won't... I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Might be tough for a while, but consider the child cannot be happy without his mom and his pappy. Yes. Uh, single parents, single parents across the country are are not happy with this. Uh, this, well, I guess Bob didn't actually write this song. I think this is probably from like oh, nineteen yeah. what, like, Wilbur like Harrison or something. Let's see, Wilbur Harrison. Uh, he was born in. Guy that wrote this is born in nineteen twenty nine. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That about does it for you. Although I guess Bob was only born eleven years after that, so he's not ter- he's not terribly That's far true. off there. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that. Yeah. Good point. Um. Well, uh, let's stick together. Let's let's, let's move on. Move on. <laughs> In into uh, into another cover uh, right here uh, to begin. So so just like with Knocked Out Loaded, Bob is really leaning into the covers uh, very heavily here at the beginning. When did you leave heaven? Um, which yeah. this one is a, this a is little more interesting. Interesting song. This is like, what the hell is going on with the rhythm, the drum machine? When I first heard this, I was like, honestly, kind of like, I thought it was like, kind of avant-garde how yeah it's like, like outsider art yeah yeah vibe. <laughs> yeah crazy it honestly sounds like bob dylan himself was operating the drum machine and like that's was what alone, I think too. alone in the studio for uh-huh. like uh, at like 3 a.m just like I fiddling with i had it. the same picture in my mind and then was like yeah i did i did it i did the drums <laughs> like the drummer was like i'm really i'm too tired <laughs> like i have to go home and he's like all right yeah, and the guitar part is like, yeah, it's almost the like sometimes so like, weird. is this is this in an odd time signature? But then it like catches up. The time signature is like it's like uh, that's what makes me think Bob Dylan actually did it himself. Is like you know in all of the classic early stuff when he's playing the guitar and he'll like by it, himself. Yeah, yeah, it'll like be not. It's not exact. It's not tight at all. It'll exactly. he'll add more beats and measures like willy-nilly and this is yeah, like it doesn't matter because he's playing by himself right this is like that but there's some weird 80s accompaniment so it's more noticeable as like what's going on definitely definitely i actually like this is one of the better ones for me i mean it has a cool vibe actually absolutely <laughs> i i like it too even though maybe because it's peculiar in in this definitely. way and it's not it's, bluesy, which because yeah, that yeah. just the whole it's too much with the blues. The blues, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We've had enough of the blues by now, Bob. <laughs> La- last um, episode, Ian kept calling it the cool rockin' daddy vibe. Is the, yeah. like the shorthand. It's for like bl- it's very blues hammer. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it's got that old guy. I mean, I think Eric Clapton is on this record somewhere too. I saw his yeah, name in the credits. So that says it right there. It's not appreciated. <laughs> He's also no. on the credits for the uh, Hearts of Fire soundtrack. If oh, is that right? But, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Okay. Um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this song does sort of like indicate that, or it. I I'm 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 of I'm of two minds about it because like in in one way like it it does indicate that there is some sort of like interesting kind of artistic direction that he could have pursued around this time, uh-huh. but also I'm I find myself asking like. Is is it actually an interesting direction that he was pursuing here, or was this just sort of like a half-assed demo that got thrown together, and that's why it's kind of interesting? Um, I, think uh, I think it's, it's hard that, to tell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you put it next to all the other tracks on the record, like that's the only explanation. Although, if we had a version like that of all these other songs, I'm yeah. sure it would be it would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, that's yeah. I think it's just. It's just incidental, uh, which I mean, you could take the meta approach and say, well, that makes it interesting in itself, uh, which is kind of, uh, yeah. th- that's the sort of straws you're going to have to grasp at uh, to really enjoy this record. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I don't, we, we don't have a problem. No. And, that. and especially knowing that Absolutely, it's not, no. uh, it's not the end of the line, you know, there's. No, there's more. There's more. But um, with that, I think we can move on to the the next track, um, which contradicts what I just said. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is yeah. I I have to admit, like I didn't make it. I hadn't heard this in a while, and I did not make it all the way through this song. I can assure you, it was not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sally Sue Brown. Sally Sue Brown. Yep. Yeah. Um, a wo- a woman who left a great impression upon Bob Dylan. Seems like it. I guess. Uh, she, uh... <laughs> yeah, so yep. this is a cover, though, I yeah, guess. We're starting, also. <laughs> starting with three covers right in a row, a, a sure sign that Bob was firing all cylinders in terms of his uh, you know, creative output at this moment in time. Um, yeah, I mean, why did yeah, why even do that, this? Like, the, the whole self-portrait experiment, ultimately, perhaps it, it ultimately maybe it's a success in the long run. But I think that there's like fallout from him doing that that like we are also forced to contend with. Like in in one sense, you you have him do like yeah. feeling free to do these covers all throughout his career, and later on, some of which are really amazing and really beautiful, but. Uh, when he made that like double album of just covers pretty much he like blew the doors wide open and i think in the 80s he was like well i've done this there's precedent for me just to do bullshit covers and put them on record yeah yeah he did a, and he did a lot of them i just i mean i think I don't know. Did he like self portrait? I mean, because it got since it was like got such I bad think reviews. Self portrait is being I, like a, a gesture that was more like him smashing a guitar. Like it's just him saying, "Like get out of my right. face." Yeah, which is wh- partly why I mm-hmm. love it is like that it feels so transgressive. Well, and it ended up having like an overall cohesive, cohesive mm. sound that. That now because it sounds good. I mean, that studio mm-hmm. production is good. The the sounds on the record are good. Like this, the sound we don't, you know, the sounds on this record are not. Yeah, no, cool no, it's like not. That, it's not really you know? what anybody's trying to do. So now, interestingly, this is one of the tracks on this record uh, that you've got uh, Paul Simonon uh, playing the bass guitar. Really? Uh huh. And uh, you've. You've got Jonesy, so Steve strange. Jones from the Sex Pistols on guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like it's it's so it random. extremely random and it's just like like this is what the like the absolute like titans of punk rock were up to just ten years after like, you know, um uh, give them enough rope and you know, never mind the bollocks and stuff. It's insane. Like <laughs> this is the oh kind God. of bullshit. Uh I mean well, I suppose they got the opportunity to play with Bob right. Dylan. They don't care what yeah. it, you know the session is. They, I, I, who the, cares? The, the Clash point. is interesting in that, like, I think they also like Joe Strummer. His solo stuff is kind of all over the place too. Like, there's there's a lot of kind of traditional covers or like traditional influenced music on his solo stuff. Like, it's not cool music. A lot of it, um, just because I mean. Paul, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's not punk. It's like definitely right. more singer songwriter. That's just funny to me to even think about just because he's like uh, probably the hottest man who's ever lived. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's it's just like funny that he's just like standing there and like asking Bob Dylan like when he comes in on Sally Sue Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Sue Brown. <laughs> oh man and bob bob at this point looks like like one of he looks terrible physically yeah <laughs> like, i know is this around so this is around the time he's hanging out with jerry garcia and he's about to go on tour with the grateful dead mm-hmm, and, exactly. I, and as the things i've read this is like his worst like heroin time like yeah you know, i mean if he's time. hanging out with jerry garcia it's probably not a great influence on him uh in, in that mm-hmm. department Although from Chronicles, I do remember, you know, him saying he was at an all time low and then and then he went on tour with the dead and it sort of revived his his passion. Well, he, he was. Uh, yeah, so. he was he was touring with Petty and feeling right. I actually have the quote right here, which um, I feel like now oh, it's cool. a good time to to get into this quote. I, I was reading uh, in Chronicles like a couple months ago and it really stuck with me. Um, And now is the time when we read it. Whatever there was to begin with had all vanished and shrunk. Tom was at the top of his game and I was at the bottom of mine. I couldn't overcome the odds. Everything was smashed. My own songs had become strangers to me. I didn't have the skill to touch their raw nerves. Couldn't penetrate the surfaces. It wasn't my moment of history anymore. There was a hollow singing in my heart, and I couldn't wait to retire and fold the tent. One more big payday with Petty, and that would be it for me. I was what they called over the hill. If I wasn't careful, I could end up ranting and raving and shouting matches with the wall. The mirror had swung around, and I could see the future. An old actor fumbling through cans outside the theater of past triumphs. I had written and recorded so many songs, but it wasn't like I was playing many of them. I think I was only up to the task of about 20 or so. The rest were too cryptic, too darkly driven, and I was no longer capable of doing anything radically creative with them. It was like carrying a package of heavy, rotting meat. I couldn't understand where they came from. The glow was gone, and the match had burned right to the end. I was going through the motions. Try as I might, the engines wouldn't start. Wow. Absolutely Wow, thank you for reading that. But that is the sound That's, of this record, isn't it? Well, I, I, in a <laughs> in a way it is. Um it's so interesting the way he talks about not being able to connect to the songs anymore. Um his old songs that they're like too cryptic, too uh darkly driven as he says. It's like it seems like these songs, like songs like Sally Sue Brown, it's like maybe this is just an escape. It's like a low bar that he feels he can hop over and it doesn't feel intimidating for him. Uh, that's my read of like, why do this? It's maybe like. Yeah, it's just something to do to en- for entertainment or to yeah. stay busy or whatever. I wonder why he was like, I mean. Obviously, we we see why uh, at at this point in 2020, with hindsight, why he kept going at this point because what he was capable of doing in you know the ensuing three decades at this point, you know from Oh Mercy on really. Um, but like I, at the time, like I, I just especially if if that if that quote you just read, Evan is is actually representative of his state of mind. Like I wonder why he was even because like he must have had enough money, right? And like there's that clip we I posted on the on the instagram and on our social medias uh the 86 this, uh, interview yeah where he's wearing like a cut off hoodie like a sleeveless hoodie and like big bug eye glasses <laughs> and he says <laughs> uh when asked about like i guess uh, i don't know what the question was but he says like i'll always be doing this i've always known i was only going to do this and i'll always be doing it and the people i've looked up to always did it to the end so um yeah yeah, I mean, shortly after that quote, it, um, 
like you said, Betsy, he like he did have some other source of inspiration. Like I think in the in Chronicles, he like even talks about like wandering into a bar and just seeing some guy play a certain way mm. or like seeing a jazz band in New Orleans or something. Maybe I'm mis- yeah. mixing it up, but like it seems like he's capable of just like finding little inspirational moments. Well, and I think that... the Wilburys also the friendship part of that mm-hmm. really lifted right. him up again yeah, right. too. I, and I don't know how far long after this that was. That not that much. I think it was right around the same this time, right? This rec- well, I guess I mean this record was yeah the record was cut between eighty three and eighty seven, but then it came out middle of eighty eight, and Wilburys was in eighty eight also. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, with with the next track, I think uh, thematically it, it it actually goes with the sort of theme we were just touching upon, which is the uh, death is not the end. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like it's something. I feel like cer- certain tracks on this record, it's like, it feels like a hint of maybe him, the dark times that he's going through. Like, mm-hmm. this song almost feels like it's directed toward himself. Like, he's trying to remind himself not to despair. Yeah, to me, I mean, c- since he covers at the end that ranks Strangers and, it, and, it's, and it's a Stanley Brothers thing, I mean, to me, this could be a Stanley Brothers song. It has to me that vibe of like, Oh death or something like that. And it's, it it actually, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great song. I think the recording is, I I think this version isn't really, doesn't do it justice. Mm. It's so sparse. Um, It's, it's kind of like the, when did you leave heaven? It's like, so uh, quiet or, or just stark just like that lonely sounding tom and uh mm-hmm. like not a ton of production going on but i i kind of like this one but it might just be down to the power of the simple lyrics and less about the execution. yeah he's like taking it back to that form his like repetitive cycle cyclical form yeah yeah, this I think for me, honestly, I think this is my favorite song on the record. Um, it's it's extremely just like vibey, uh, and the production is is weird, but it is also like it's it's compelling to me. Um, or like interest. There's there's a reason to like listen to it carefully as opposed to something like <laughs> Sally Sue Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the lyric the lyric is really just affecting. Um, uh, considering the like his headspace and where he was at at this particular moment in time. And that that refrain, it, it's almost like um, I, I can't think of the the right word for it, but it, it, there's like almost like a Zen quality to the song, where he just keeps returning to this this insight, the same insight over and over again. Just remember that death is not the end, uh, and it gets pretty kind of like fucked up and dark by the end of it. But when the cities are on fire with the burning flesh of men, just remember that death is not the end. Almost feels um, like a holdover from uh, one of the Christian records. Yeah, it's, it's like, very gospel. Uh, it's kind of yeah. It's like a southern yeah, gospel. Totally. Like that's kind of what I meant about the Stanley Brothers vibe. It's like that. Right, right. Could have been that like a bluegrass gospel, and but it's all. It's more. It's less. Feels more just overall spiritual and less Christian or something. Less Christian. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think he was definitely trying to sort of trade on at this point or like like continue huffing up the fumes <laughs> of the christian era which obviously rejuvenated his songwriting to an extent but could only sustain him for however long that was 18 months two years or whatever um and, and we're several years beyond that point now well death uh, is not the end and now uh now we're into dreams um and not not dreams like Roy Orbison necessarily, but uh, <laughs> dreams. Like, uh, this is a terrible transition. Uh, had a dream about you, baby. Um, it's it's not as terrible a transition as you might think, only because uh, Roy Orbison uh, is going to start playing a more significant role in Bob Dylan's life. Yeah, uh, I guess of course, that's true. The Wilburys, and and I think that a lot of these songs, I I do suspect that some of the rationale that Bob Dylan has for himself, like doing all these weird bizarro covers is kind of like, well, Roy Orbison could pull this off. Interesting. Why not? Like, cause he's talked about Roy Orbison and, and, and rightly 
pointed out that like he's somebody who sort of defied genre and at the time was like doing all kinds of songs loosely like rock and roll some more bluesy some more like crooner style and i think that bob dylan sort of sees himself as someone who also is like that and aspires to be someone like that. Yeah, I could imagine Roy would be like one of the only people he felt like he could look up to or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. You listen to something like like any of Roy Orbison's early stuff, and it's like, this is just kind of Roy music. It's just, it's uh, it's very Mm -hmm. versatile. Um, And uh, perhaps that's what was going through Bob Dylan's head when he recorded... Had a dream about you, babe. <laughs> well, I read in that book the the, the sessions one that by the, I forget the guy's name. Who's it? Clinton Haley. Okay, yeah. I I read in that book that he this wasn't supposed to be on the record. Um, it was well. This was recorded for oh, Hearts of Fire, I think. Oh, yeah. Right, because it does appear in the movie uh, for a moment. He and what's, yeah, Fiona. Fiona. The, girl, what's the girl's name? A rising Fiona, star. That's right, Fiona. Yeah, <laughs> Molly. Molly McGuire is the name of the character. Um, uh, but yeah, they do appear on stage singing this at at one moment. Yeah. So I guess that that makes more sense. Yeah, I don't know how much time we should waste on it. Agreed. I also agree. I, I just would like to highlight for uh, our listeners, uh, you know, uh, the the lyricist of of such stunners as uh, you know, Mister Tambourine Man and uh, Tangled Up in Blue uh, is by this point in his life um, uh, singing songs that go, uh, uh, "I got to see you, baby. I don't care. It may be someplace, baby. You say where. <laughs> I had a dream about you, baby." Had a dream about you, baby. Late last night, you come rolling across my mind. Yeah, it could be worse. It's not, <laughs> not, not one of the ones that's going to stick with you. I guess it could be worse. Could be, could be better too. We've had worse at this point. We've had New Pony. Oh, come on, guys! Come on, guys! We have had New Pony. We've had <laughs> New Pony's being defended. You, yeah, you like New Pony? I, I street legal can do no wrong to me. I love. I, I have really come to love street legal. I think even more since we initially like recorded about it uh, however long ago. But New Pony is just that, it's got, that he's got passion. He does have passion. That's true. On that uh, on that note, we can we can flip the record God, here and it's on to over. side B. Uh, uh, oh, this is the yeah, oh, no, this is the uh, low point of the record. Yeah, yeah, this this is this is your favorite song, Betsy, and it's called uh, yeah. uh, "Ugliest Girl." It's called ugliest, "You Don't Know Your Ugliest Girl in the World." Uh, One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> what like what was even going on? Like I just I have no yeah. idea. Yeah, what, what is, what going is on the here. point? Like where is the inspiration coming from? Like what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, especially when you factor in that it's a Robert Hunter collab. Um, like where? Yeah. At what? What? At what point? Which which lines are Robert Hunter's <laughs> and which ones are? Well, Bob I think Dylan? in that book I read that it was not very. Ma- it was mostly Bob. It was not. Well, well, Bob also ostensibly wrote uh, the song "Dirty World" on the um, on on the Wilburys record, which is ghastly yeah (laughs) so like this this seems like in that tradition like this like bob dylan like mad magazine type of song dirty old man (laughs) dirty old man oh that's right to quote hearts of fire yeah that wasn't fair i don't think they should have brought that into it no i mean he he was pretty chaste in that relationship he was very respectful i thought at least to to her, he wasn't respectful to that hotel room. No, or um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into oh that. Uh, but uh, dirt, uh, ugliest girl in the world. What what is there to say? It's a rock and what? How would you describe the music of this? Bad. I don't. Yeah, it's, just uh, bad. <laughs> upsetting. I, I just, yeah, I really don't know what, do we know, was he still with Carolyn Dennis at this point? Because she's credited on the lyrics right. on this song, which makes me wonder, like, is he, is he, is he writing this song about her and then making her sing it I also? Don't, 
I don't yeah, think that's that that's sick. That... <laughs> that sounds sick. That sounds wrong. I don't want to believe that. I feel like maybe they're all just having a. I want to believe they're all they're all just passing around a doobie and yeah. And I hope it was like drug like, and alcohol related. Yeah, just sort of talking about like what if there was an a girl and she was so ugly. That's their thought. <laughs> There's those background vocals that's like she's so ugly. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Carolyn Dennis. <laughs> that's yeah. Carolyn Dennis. Uh, like, I guess I was. I'm wondering, like, okay, so one of the songs in Hearts of Fire is was written by Shel Silverstein, right? And right. I kind of wonder, like, was he going for Wait, which Shel Silverstein? Right. Which song um, was written by Shel Silverstein? Because it's um uh, a couple more years. Um, like when he, you know, when he's singing, I guess we'll talk about this later, but he's singing and he's playing acoustic guitar in that barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like a, a Shel Silverstein song that, and it's been recorded by Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. You know, it's really interesting. The Shel Silverstein connection to Dylan. The last time we mentioned him was when, uh, when, when Bob Dylan wrote uh, Blood on the Tracks he sh- sort of showed it to certain friends, like he would play it acoustically all the way through to like various close friends. And he played it for Shel Silverstein on it on Shel's houseboat. And um, that just yeah, sounds like a magical okay. moment. But uh, also I, yeah, I think maybe okay. his influence, I think you're onto something, Betsy, that maybe there's a, I mean, we, we need only look a little further, like this song, Obviously, it seems to have a little bit of that like playful Shel Silverstein poetry vibe, and then on a Under the Red Sky is is also full of stuff like that. Uh, this sort of like almost children's uh, book sort of lyricism. Um, maybe Shel Silverstein's influences understood. Maybe this is the. Maybe it's yeah. the the spiritual successor to Man Gave Named All the Animals. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could, it's, it is sort of in that. In any case, uh, not not the strongest song on the record, which is you know, it is what it is. Um, moving along to the next one, this one might actually be the strongest song on the record, just in terms of it functioning as a functional kind of pop song. Uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. And that is, of course, the great Silvio. Uh, Silver, Silver and, gold. and gold. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward uh, rockin' tune. It's not, like, cringy. Yeah, and and it and I guess those guys are on it, and Bob Weir and Jerry Garcia, and you know Brett. It looks like Brett Midland, who was the mm-hmm. keyboard player for the Dead in the eighties, is singing on it also. So wow. they maybe they were just having a good time, you know. Yeah, hanging out. Yeah, this again, I think, seems like like another hint of another kind of direction that he could have gone on this record it's not the same direction as something like um you know death is not the end or when did you leave heaven but like you know a, a record that's nine of these kind of songs with this kind of vibe and, and sound i think it's like mm-hmm. it's totally fine and it's like definitely passable especially in 1988 when you know he's coming off just you know a pretty pretty weak streak at least critically speaking um like people would have people putting yeah, it mildly but yeah exactly yeah. and and you know obviously as we've discussed some of that is a uh, stronger material than it might have initially appeared to be brownsville girl uh for instance um you like brownsville i'm girl, going to the mat yeah. for brownsville girl um <laughs> betsy what do you think of brownsville girl uh it's that's not my favorite ah uh, you're not a brownsville yeah. girl <laughs> I guess I don't know. I guess not. No, I, 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 I'm not either. I mean, I have some pretty weird favorites, but not. You but do not. seem to. Uh, no, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I think I forget exactly what you've mentioned as something you like, but I remember being surprised. <laughs> and you, I know you don't really like the 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 covers records, like the later ones. Like you're not a huge triplicate fan. Yeah, I guess I just yeah. For some reason, I 
I don't know. I was never a fan of that style of music in general. So maybe that's, that's right. what it is. I guess I'm the I'm the weird one for really long. I know music. people like that. I know people like that. And I think I think they're probably like good. Yeah. Uh, it's more you know, of a, for what it is. A, something about my uh, pseudo like, boomer sensibilities. <laughs> I think that's pseudo like greatest that. generation sensibilities, not even boomer. Right. The si- mm-hmm. the silent generation. Um but uh, I think mentioning uh, the involvement of the dead on, on this track uh, is a good moment to bring up that the, there was an original cover uh, image for oh, yeah. this record, um, which wasn't used. Uh, I don't believe it was even ever finished as a, a finished piece of art. But um, the concept, um, which I'll, I'll try to post on the Instagram um, was actually to be done by one of the artists. I don't have their name. Right here. It's the guy who did all of the Grateful Dead covers. I, I, I can go back yeah, and pull it up. Yeah, someone who did a lot of of the most famous Grateful Dead artwork. And it, it's a really cool cover. It's like a very stylized, sort of uh, surrealistic Bob Dylan-esque figure uh, as a cowboy with a guitar riding backwards on a horse through a... I love um, it a sort of mystical looking yeah. canyon desert yeah, it's canyon awesome. it's, it's way cooler yeah. and and honestly i don't feel like it fits the record that we have i i also, I also agree with that yeah rick um, griffin is the uh, is the name of the artist um yeah it's definitely just heavily grateful dead vibes and bob weir had the whole like cowboy song mm-hmm fascination like you know he would all of his covers are always of that cowboy country yeah he did, uh, uh, like um what's that one uh el paso uh el pa- marty robbins and yeah. they did they did mama tried mm-hmm. um i love all that stuff um i wish that bob had done that i wish yeah. that this record had been something that could have fit with that cover idea right. it would have been like a great missing link um definitely it seems like for whatever reason fate did not have it that bob dylan's uh, collaborations artistically with the dead would be successful on record yeah anyway. i think that's that's what you get when they start collaborating in 1986 instead of you know night <laughs> yeah because they were all i mean the dead was not in a good place that year i mean that was not right that was right so that you mentioned <laughs> so... that brent was the keyboardist and that's because uh of the death of um of of keith, keith godshaw yeah yeah who was like had tragically to- was that was an awesome presence. I mean, in that band and it's like the best years of that band, in my opinion, were because, you know, a lot because of him. Because of Keith. Yeah. He -hmm. had to bring his wife into it, which is controversial. It's like bringing a a woman on on board a ship. (laughs) Well, it's her, yeah, her vocal performance was very inconsistent. Yeah. But I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not like the most scholared, uh, scholarly t- uh, deadhead. Very relatively new, but to the to being in- interested. But it seems like she she has her fans. You know, like there's definitely people yeah. who really appreciate what she. She, brought. she has her moments, and and had been a backup singer at, in Muscle Shoals, uh, just a studio. Mm-hmm. She could sing. It was just the '70s. It, it was the cocaine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is uh, really. A dark time for so many acts, so many groups, and so many artists. The middle to late 80s um, really spared almost no one in terms of like. Well, I think they just, they were out of place. I mean, their whole world, everything changed around them. And I think they just didn't, they tried to fit in or something. And But that's just not where they were yeah from. yeah it really seems yeah. like anyone who like started as a band before the year like 1983 or something like if you were still putting records out in 1987 88 it was just gonna be dog shit um and no one mm-hmm. no one got out of it unscathed um except for van morris <laughs> who i think put out some of his Whoa. best stuff I in know, the 80s i know you're <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sure we could think of. We could probably some think. Stuff. I mean, there are great like Tango in the Night or something. That's a great Fleetwood oh, Mac yeah, record. But yeah. it's it is. There, Don Boys Henley. Summer, and, and we're not out of the '80s yet either. I mean, Bob Dylan will put out. I think some of his best stuff in the '80s. It's just not as consistent. Like by the end of yeah. the '80s, you've got uh, everything on Oh Mercy, and you know. The few songs that are really, really good on Infidel. The live version you guys have of that at the beginning, I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. Of the beginning yes. of the podcast. It's a, it's a blast. It's great. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, been, it's a hard time. Uh, in, it's a hard time. Music and... Uh, a, hard, a hard rain is, is presently falling at this moment in time <laughs> yes, in music. That's right. <laughs> Uh, we'll see how many more corny. Silvio. Uh, what's the song Silvio about? I don't it's know. About Silvio. Uh, yeah, uh, from The Sopranos. Yeah, Sil. Uh, it's about Uncle uh, Sil. Little Steven. Little Steven yeah, Van exactly. Zandt. Uh, actually, you know, somebody who it would have been cool if if Little Stevie was yeah, on he this was involved. Of it's being called Silvio. Yeah, he, he should have later been, been collaborating with Bruce Springsteen. Well, he on Maybe. to bring up the uh, you know the bootlegs uh, series one through three. At the end of that, there's the original version of um, "When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky," which is recorded with Little Steven uh, on the track and sounds like it's from "Born to Run" or something. Um, like mm-hmm. a it's 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 a kick-ass version. I think it's the second last song on the record, right before "Series of Dreams." Um, and uh, and yeah, it's it's amazing. And uh, you know, had Bob made that record, I think it would have been looked upon very fondly but you know he he loves to do self-sabotage so it's buried away at the end of a 60 song um you know outtakes <laughs> collection like that okay silvio good track give it a spin uh bob and the dead could have worked if they had recorded 20 hours or, or 20 years earlier 20 hours yeah, yeah 20 hours probably wouldn't yeah, have made much of a difference before. um speaking of numbers 90 miles 90. an hour <laughs> down a dead end street uh, is going to be our next track here. Um, I think this one is, mm-hmm. is is one of the more interesting ones to me. I I, I kind of like this. Um, this is uh, this is another cover. Uh, Betsy and I were just talking about uh, this being one of the stronger songs on at least the second side of the record, right? I mean, uh, are, are you not a fan? I don't want to listen to this. I don't find myself thinking I want to listen to 90 miles an hour. <laughs> down a dead end street but i i think it's uh definitely a solid song it seems it's fine yeah if you have to sit through it um it's like one of the better ones yeah <laughs> his vocal again like his singing it's, it's actually you know for talking about being dead inside like he was i mean it it's actually a really heartfelt performance and absolutely it's hard hard to avoid the the lyrical content being maybe like something that he was actually excited to sing about at the time wonder why that might be um a song title like 90 miles an hour down a dead end street (laughs) like i'm flooring the gas pedal until i explode my car (laughs) yeah Yeah, dude, yeah. It, it is it is funny in terms of like the the vocal performance and the investment. It does almost seem like he is more interested and more connected to the covers on this record than he is like his own tracks. Like the the vocal performances seem to be you know str- like weaker if we want to consider them that way on the songs that he himself has written. Which is not to say that the vocal on something like "Death Is Not the End" is weak necessarily, but he, he like it doesn't feel like his heart is in yeah. it necessarily. But this, mm-hmm. yeah, he's like he's he believes right. it. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. into this. Um, which is, is so interesting. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's just sort of a, 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 an indication of where his head is at and where his heart is at, at this, this, this troubled moment. Yeah. But who, who's it a cover of? Uh, Don Robertson, uh, an American songwriter and pianist in the country and popular music genres. Uh, yeah. I'd like to hear the original. Like it's, I'm reading here. It says he wrote a lot of hit songs for Elvis. Yeah. He's got mm. tons of Elvis credits on his, um, on his, um, Wikipedia page and, um, co-written with, uh, Hal Blair, who appears to have just been Don Robertson's songwriting partner. Right. I wonder, yeah. I wonder who has the original credit for this. Um, let's see. 
Uh, my guess is um, a mechanic on a car, someone who can make a car. <laughs> my guess is speed racer. <laughs> uh, Hank Snow, it looks like. Um, can't oh, say okay. that I'm familiar with Hank Snow. Yeah, I imagine this this was like a country honky-tonk vibe. So that right. you could see, I mean, maybe that I, I'm wondering what the, I'm going to listen to the original after I get off the phone with you guys because I, I have a feeling it's a really different vibe. Like he took this into a different direction. You think, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Canadian, yeah, Hank Snow, Canadian-American country music artist most popular in the 1950s uh, from, yeah, 1914 to 1999, old Hank Snow. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, rest in peace, Hank Snow. Uh, Twenty-one years since you left us, man. This guy looks cool. Hank Snow. Um, he yeah. sounds cool. His name and Good the fact names. that he wrote wrote a song like this that sounds cool. Whoa! Whoa. He does look cool. Yeah. <laughs> he's, oh wow! He's vibes, man. He looks way. No wonder Bob Dylan wanted to cover this. Look at that. Look at uh, this is the style. Look at these that Bob he's, got, stole. he's got like roses and stuff like embroidered on the coat. Beautiful, like sequin embroidered, white and multicolored suits, tuxedos. Yeah, the nudie suits. And, and then he's um, got, yeah, that I like the music red, notes one. Red, yeah. The yeah there's one, one that's very striking where he's wearing a a white suit that's embroidered with all kinds of music notes and and a big black bow tie and red aviator type <laughs> shades. It's um, amazing. Yeah, he really, looks great. Listeners, awesome. do yourself a favor and Google Google Hank Snow and head right to that images page. You're gonna you're in for a treat. Wrapping up this great record, um, uh, which you can tell is great because of how much time we're spending talking about Hank Snow, uh, is is Shenandoah. Uh, Shenandoah, here. someone who uh, wrote this. Um, I don't. This is like an anonymous type of like. Who knows who wrote? Shenandoah. Yeah, it's a it's a, a traditional kind of folk song. It's a great, it's a great tune. But I, uh, yeah, this is, I love this song and I, uh, I'm from Virginia, so I can't really <laughs> say anything negative about this. And I, this is a song, I, I knew this version when I was like a kid for some reason. And I had thought growing up that he wrote this song and I do think that he arranged this. And I, I mean, I think he added some lyrics. This version does not sound like any other version of Shenandoah. It's a great, it's a great song. Uh, what can you say? Yeah. I mean, everybody. <laughs> and his singing again, the vocal performance yeah, think... is great. Yeah, and the harmonica the playing is good. Background vocals on this also fantastic. Um, yeah, this, uh, this is like, if you, if you wanted to make a record that was all of just like these, like traditional, like 19th century folk covers with this kind of, vibe, I think that also could have, it's like, he's got like four or five false starts in the direction right. of four or five different records on this record that like any one of them could have been interesting and rewarding if he just like went that way fully. But at the like at the end of the day, you're just left like you're dissatisfied with all of them because they're just packaged together in this weird kind of unfulfilling way. I think that's a really good way. It's just so unfocused that you just can't get you just can't get into any kind of exactly. Yeah, it's like schizophrenic. It's just like as soon as you like get a vibe kind of established, you're just like completely snapped out of it and put into something completely different. Um, but yeah, Shenandoah, it's great. Look it up, Shenandoah. Shenandoah. That rolling um, river. Um, this last song, uh, Rank Strangers uh, to Me, which is a, and also a traditional uh, cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't help uh, but think about that quote from earlier on from Chronicles when he's talking about how his old songs felt like they were strangers to him, that like his closest friends now seem like... Uh, they don't know who he is and he has nothing in common with them. Um, that's what makes me feel like this is one of my favorites on this, mm. on this record, just for the, I guess just for the context, it, it feels like it's loaded with meaning. Um, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but I like 
that this is sort of like the swan song of the the dark days of Bob Dylan's 80s, uh, middle 80s mm. career. I, I feel like this is sort of like a nice send-off, as dignified a send-off as, as you could get, as you could hope for. Yeah, I think this is actually the strongest, song, I mean, song on the record. And his... His he really outdoes his, himself with the mm-hmm. with the singing on. I mean, you can re- he's really yeah. getting behind this song, and I think he's kind of looking back to hit the Stanley Brothers being sort of a spiritual inspiration to him. You can it's a, and it's the same thing. It is like a it's, it's like a Christian roots mm-hmm. song, but um, you know it's not explicitly. I don't think it mentions Jesus right. or anything. And he's not so. talking shit on people for not believing in in Christ yeah. the Lord, <laughs> like yeah. most, like most of the tracks <laughs> from uh, Slow Train and Saved and stuff. It sort of starts a trend, or it it's it's a it's in this vein that he'll continue to explore, even on records like like Oh Mercy, as good uh, good as I've been to you, World Gone Wrong. And time out of mind, and really something he hasn't stopped doing, which is kind of like being interested in the more melancholy and basically like emo side of traditional music and sort of mining that for inspiration. Um, It's something that I think has not left his music since this period. And in some ways, I think it's like it's like what saved his his creative life like he realized like i can actually connect with these like sad songs from the past like yeah mm-hmm. the darkness the murder ballad right. vibe the especially yeah. a song like this which if i mean i feel like this is all over time out of mind is songs like that are about basically being like suicidal songs about like being mm-hmm. totally alienated and disconnected Death. from everyone around you the lyric from um, uh, "Not Dark Yet" when he says, "I'm not looking for no- like not looking for nothing in anyone's eyes," like that—that's the sad, sad, lonely that's heart. That's the of same this concept. Song. Yeah, everybody I met seemed to be a mm-hmm. rank stranger. Yeah, it's the same uh, same thing. You're right. I I really agree, and I think the song is. Uh, is is probably my favorite on the record for that reason. But now it's time, Betsy. I don't know if you are aware of how we do things around Jokerman podcast, but uh, we uh, review the record, we rank yes. it um, from from what from from one to three stars. It's a very sign. It's a very scientific kind of rating system. Um, yeah, that's not a whole no, it lot. Much- get- it Not doesn't give you a lot of range. Um, it it requires some uh, bold, decisive choices. Um, the three star system. So, um, just want to get you up to speed on that. I bet we're all gonna have the same answer. I think you must be right. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe three in total. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, this is going to be a one for me. I realized that I've I've been on a streak of two star ratings at this point. Uh, so so we're going to have to dip back down, dip back down to the one. Uh, although I guess it's not really a streak because I gave I forgot about real live, which was the very definition of a one star. But yeah, down in the groove, which I gave star. zero stars. Yeah, yeah, which you're <laughs> sort of. Wow. Oh, you can do that. You can give zero, but you can't give half stars. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's you you can. You can just sort of make up whatever rules you want, really. No, no, you can't. You can't give half stars. That's the one rule, really. All right. Uh, one star from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to give it one star um, because I think it's got these these moments, these bright spots of emotional, emotionally clear, uh, connected songs, and then the rest are yeah, not. Like, they're not good. They're bad. Yeah, I'm going to have, I'll give it one, two, one star also because for the same reason, I think it really, the, like songs like um, Rank Stranger, real, I mean, I, I would actually 
listen to that. Mm-hmm. You know, more. <laughs> but some... That's a good, uh, that's a good baseline uh, criteria yeah. that I would actually listen to this on purpose. Like, I don't think I'm going to put on, you know, Sally Sue Brown ever. <laughs> no. You're not going to, you're not going to just throw uh, ugliest girl in the world on, on the stereo and, you know, have you know, a good Bri- time. I think Brian D'Addario, a uh, friend of the pod and former guest has, uh, expressed that he likes ugliest girl in the world oh, that's that's sort of the lemon I'll, twigs thing is uh I'll, I'll have liking, liking things that are bad uh, i'll have to ask him about it <laughs> uh, I, i'll go on to say that's not a reflection of their music um and no. uh also I, I would like to talk a little bit about uh your music betsy because i know that you you released a record last year with x hex which um i yeah. i just listened to and I feel like we'll probably have more opportunity to talk about it in the next episode, I think, because to my mind, it's like all of the music in uh, Hearts of Fire is like, um, X-Hack sounds like that, but if 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 that had any <laughs> talent behind it and was actually good and fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely heavily, there, our record was had an 80s feel to and a pop feel to it so i can see what you mean heavily Uh, inspired by fiona i'm sure yes (laughs) yeah one of my personal heroes (laughs) the great fiona (laughs) on on that note everybody uh should go and get get on your phone or your go to your record store rather and have them order you a copy of It's Real um, or Rips by X-Hex, uh, which are two very fun and and uh, genuinely not one-star records uh, <laughs> to listen to. Um, Thank you. Ones that you actually would probably want to listen to on purpose um, yeah. <laughs> in the future. Thanks, guys. And um, next time, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, it's going to be back Jokerman back at the movies, um, which is we haven't done a Jokerman at the movies episode since. Uh, Old Pat Garrett. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. That's like my favorite. That's one of my true favorite records. That the, was the okay. That Pat Garrett. That's the weird thing that you told me that. that yeah, stuck I in think my it's head. my favorite Bob Dylan record. What? It's like the <laughs> desert island. It's like the. The um island, my you know, Your desert island disc. What? There, yeah, I think it's that one. That's what I would take. There have been a lot of hot takes on Jokerman so far, but that might be the hottest take is <laughs> the Pat Garrett soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I remember you told me that, and I I was shocked. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's that weird. I mean, it's just for to. To have that one be the one you would take with you. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I, I but I also, sort of now thinking about it, it's like, that does make sense because it's so, uh, it's so much about atmosphere and it does exactly. have like a re-listenable quality. So yeah, maybe it's not exactly. as, as extreme a take as, as I thought. You can't wear it out. Right, right. We all, we all know and remember and love the classic, uh, the classic turkey chase. Right, and if you ever get really sick of that record, you can just listen to "Knocking on Heaven's Door" and slit your wrist with a rock <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on your desert island. Yeah, and that will be the end. Uh, well, thank you uh, for coming on for this episode, Betsy Wright, and uh, you'll be joining us uh, next time for uh, Joker Man at the Movies. For Hearts of Fire. Hearts awesome. of Fire. Joker Man. Excellent. Come on, water. Cast on your bread. Bobby, I.